Welcome everyone to Bitcoin Magazine's Meet the Taco Plebs. Uh, my name is Casey. Today is a fantastic day in Bitcoin as always. Um, before we begin, I have some great codes for you guys. You got to go to Bitcoin 2022. It's like the best time in the world, Miami, April 6th to the 9th. Uh, code for us is Taco Plebs, no space, just Taco Plebs. You get 10% off. If you buy with Bitcoin, you get $100 off the general admission and 1000 off the whale pass. So totally worth it to buy with Bitcoin. Um, and for the deep dive daily, uh, daily newsletter subscription, you can use the code MACRO21 to get a discount. And uh, you can get some fantastic content from our very own Dylan. And uh, it's been, been doing some great stuff recently. But let's jump right into it. We've got a new addition to the team here at BTC Inc. Uh, Lewis, why don't you just introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, hey, Casey, thank you for having me on the, the Taco Plebs podcast. This is exciting. I joined the team about two weeks ago. I'll be doing kind of growth in email marketing, uh, some Twitter marketing, and then kind of an additional hand on the content front. So making some educational pieces, some general contributions to the magazine, et cetera. Really excited to be uh, part of the Bitcoin team. Yeah, I mean, we're doing tons, so it's great to have you. We definitely need all the help we can do right now. Um, so yeah, let's jump right into it. How did you first get into Bitcoin, my friend? Because, you know, many people have interesting stories. Yeah, I have, you know, if you had to invent a story, you might be able to come up with mine. It's pretty, pretty easy, but I don't have like a specific first moment. I wish I did because then I could find a dramatic way to tell the story. But I just kind of recall being in my freshman year of college, I was studying computer science uh, and I didn't go to like a STEM or special high school or anything. So that was kind of my first time being surrounded by like hundreds of like super nerds. And so Bitcoin was just inevitable to come up, especially during uh, the fall of 2017, which was my freshman year of college, which was, you know, a humongous run up from like 8K to 20K. So I just kind of remember it being like the chatter outside of class and during class, and then kind of had to do my own independent research around that time. And that's when I first started uh, just knowing about it and learning about it. But it wasn't really until March of 2020 that I started paying attention to it more when we saw the money printer go crazy in response to COVID uh, that I was like, okay, well, if they print trillions of dollars, things are clearly going to inflate. So what's, what do you do about that? And I remember this Bitcoin thing existed and that kind of put me further down the rabbit hole. Uh, so that's, you know, the brief version of the story. I love how you said uh, you're surrounded by nerds. So Bitcoin was inevitable because uh, if you've ever been to a Bitcoin meetup, we truly are all nerds. Um, but yeah, no, I kind of relate to you. It wasn't, uh, there was never an epiphany moment. It was more like uh, a slow burn, especially uh you know like you said once all the money printing starts happening you think about inflation and like yeah so some for a lot of people i think it's more of like a creeping uh sensation of knowledge rather than like this uh you know smack you in the face moment well there, there's so many pieces to it right i mean i was studying computer science which is advantageous for understanding bitcoin compared to a lot of other disciplines but mm -hmm. it's not like i have a super strong background in economics or the super strong background in game theory or psychology or just monetary history so just like saying oh this is neat right that's a lot of the perspective computer science people come to it this is like a really interesting innovation but grasping why it's important takes understanding of a lot of other things uh, and so since i didn't have that there wasn't like some clear light bulb that went off it just kind of was on my radar and then as the other factors kind of came into play i started to realize oh i should really be paying attention to this this is really more than just kind of like a neat trick of distributed networks yeah, I could imagine as a as a computer science student, you would have a totally in, like, different perspective coming into Bitcoin. Um, 
you know, not being in that field myself, uh, a lot of what Bitcoin does, the the utilization of the technology, et cetera, just seems like, you know, insane, uh, like crazy technology that took a long time to really figure out how to do with the uh, Byzantine general uh, problem, et cetera. So uh, yeah, I think it would be really interesting to have that perspective. But uh, beyond the technology, I'm curious what life lesson, quote unquote, you would say you've most appreciated from Bitcoin. Yeah. So when you get into Bitcoin and then you start trading, you know, your fiat currency for this digital currency, that's only about 10 years old, people start to challenge your decision-making for doing that. And rightfully so, right. It's, it's a crazy thing to do. Uh, at least it seems that way. And they start to make all of these arguments that they don't realize apply also to like their existing system. And so it's kind of made me always aware of any argument I'm making, wondering if it also applies to the position that I hold. I don't know if you're able to keep up with that, but you know, people ask things like, like, how can you trust Bitcoin? Like, we don't like, I don't understand it. And it's like, well, do you understand the, the other way? Like, do you know how the current system works? Do you trust that system? Or it's like all the kind of the FUD people have about Bitcoin and the environment. It's like, doesn't all this non-renewable energy power that? And I'm like, what percentage of the institutions that you use to support your daily life are powered renewable? Like, what's the comparable thing to here? So for me, it's kind of realizing that a lot of the criticisms people levy against Bitcoin also apply to other things. But then outside of crypto, outside of any of this discussion, just any other form of debate that I might be entering in, like really trying to be conscientious of, am the things I'm saying to, you know, to win this argument, do they equally apply to myself? Because if so, I should probably come up with better arguments. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Uh, Bitcoin is like this great mirror. Uh, I've heard it described as it's like a self-reflection sort of, uh, uh, you know, phenomenon. And uh, I, I think that's kind of what you're describing there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think everyone who, you know, begins to present arguments in Bitcoin, I found this as I was uh, beginning my writing journey. Um, it, it's like you really have to back up these arguments and reflect on whether or not they apply to uh not only what you're describing, but, uh, you know, the other aspect of the topic at hand. Um, and I think Bitcoiners hold people accountable when they want to, uh, you know, argue per se or, or debate um, the various aspects of the technology. Um, it's, you know, a lot of what we see on media today with debates is uh, not very well backed up information. Um, we don't see we don't see things that apply to, you know, the general population well. And I think what Bitcoin does is allows um, people to have debates that are based on like a, uh, you know, logical, um, more well-reasoned, uh, you know, function. So, you know, interesting, interesting idea. But I guess the next question I would ask is what aspect of Bitcoin, uh, you know, there's so many things, the technology, the culture, um, the economic uh, part of it. Uh, what do you think best encapsulates the change that you desire to see in the world? Because uh, I imagine there would be things that you wish you could improve about our world right now. Yeah, I think the answer here that I want to kind of explain is it's one really big success story of what happens when you can align incentives. Uh, so not to, you know, upset maxis that might be listening here, but web three is kind of like the people taking that idea of what would happen if we align incentives and applying that to a ton of other problems as well, like increasing the payouts for creators. If like Spotify, you know, only pays out X percentage, but if it's a creator owned platform then they're going to get a higher percentage, 
and the users are more incentivized to use it because they support the artists and they themselves can be owners and the artists are more likely to use it. Uh, so I think Bitcoin's like a really successful large experiment of what happens when we really conscientiously design incentives to work for everyone to like make good acting in everyone's favor. And then one kind of other example of that, right, is it's also kind of back to what you're saying a minute ago about like understanding the truth and making people look in the mirror to like find, you know, what is the most true Bitcoin and open source software in general, or kind of like this very meritocratic idea or meritocratic ideology where whatever is the very best kind of just rises to the top. And it's like, not about obviously egos always come into play and things like that. But I think we see a lot of other industries not embrace the kind of open source ideology, like the medical industry, for example, that seems to be very much still profit oriented, very much not incentive oriented. It's not about promoting what's best for people's health. It's about what's promoting what's best for the company. Uh, and those things often come to conflict. So I think hopefully Bitcoin kind of creates more and more momentum, inertia, whatever you want to call it, for industries to align incentives and just focus on like making true ideas rise to the surface rather than like people kind of uh, gating off knowledge. Right. And theoretically, you know, the best ideas uh, should benefit the most people. And, uh, and that's really what you get when you align incentives as Bitcoin does. Uh, it's the, you know, benefit for the greatest network uh, is truly the one that's chosen. And, um, and that ends up being the, you know, the chosen consensus. Um, and I think Bitcoin, uh, it, like how you were mentioning uh, Web3, et cetera, but what Bitcoin did is lay the groundwork for that, um, what, you know, a, a consensus network that uh, incentivizes everyone to basically maintain the same set of rules, um, you know, to a certain extent, and only the best ideas are uh, implemented beyond those four rules. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin just being that foundational leader, um, it's a great thing, but I guess moving on, you know, we have so many things going on in the Bitcoin industry, uh, you know, fantastic happenings left and right. I would ask you now, uh, what are you most looking forward to in the Bitcoin space as we go into the future? I would say two things. One is kind of like everything that, you know, someone like Alex Gladstein talks about with the human rights implications of Bitcoin. I don't know how directly I will personally, like in my day-to-day -day life, notice and enjoy the benefits of that. Uh, but I think like the idea of widespread Bitcoin adoption around the world, allowing people in very unstable living circumstances to accumulate wealth and capture the products of their labor in a way that's just in their control for once is just a massively positive development in like human history. Uh, that's one that I think is like more important to say than like thinking, uh, you know, like the lightning network is a very exciting way that I think like, so my second answer is like the lightning network and micropayments and like zero cost transactions uh, mm -hmm. of people like using currency to literally do whatever they want. Because when you have these zero cost transactions, you have micropayments and then like that can kind of change the incentive structure of pretty much all of, uh, this is not like a web three thing, but like all of web two, for example, like if we call Twitter a web two application, it's a social network that's governed by ad revenue as the only way to like keep them in business. And the attempt, the business model depends on people using the platform as much as possible. Like that's they're like various mechanisms they have to prevent spam and like keep the bills on those can kind of transition to a micropayment system. And like, now that we're seeing the lightning network really become sophisticated, widely used, widely adopted, reliable. I think we'll start to see a lot of these kind of web to business models shift to a micropayments model where you just like pay tiny amounts for everything you do or everyone like 
uses some amount of money to participate. It's kind of like, you know, email spam back in the day. Like people just would spend, send as many emails as possible. And then when you had to like put a barrier to doing that, all of a sudden the incentive structure, not the incentive structure, but the business model changed. Like you couldn't do it in the spammy way. And mm -hmm. now that we have like zero cost transactions or essentially zero cost transactions, I think all the really kind of toxic web two business models of like advertisements and addictive design can potentially be reconsidered to like respect everyone's like life technology balance in a much better way. So I'm really excited to see that play out. Cause I think there's a lot of really smart people who just got sucked into like video games or got sucked into Twitter and like, aren't contributing to humanity the way that like they would have been if like their same brain power was just like locked in university library a hundred years ago, uh, because they just like are so distracted. And I think we can make the internet less distracting if we use micropayments. Call me out harder, man. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, Definitely. I haven't really thought about that, um, about how uh, realigning those sort of incentives uh, to get people less addicted, you know, whatever would benefit your life more and not, you know, keep you attached to a screen would actually be the one that's the winning idea. Um, and I didn't think about how that might impact the sort of quote unquote brain drain. Um, it's an interesting idea, certainly. And uh, gosh, yeah, call me out harder because yeah, I, just uh, I think we're all, yeah. A ton of highly intelligent people kind of playing below their pay grade because they just don't have three to four hours a day of undistracted thinking uh, and it's kind of like difficult to do that i feel like how much you know besides just random factoids and shallow ideas that are like easy to grasp learning do people do after they leave college because they're just not forced to like take tests on hard things mm -hmm. uh, so it's like we kind of are you know continuing to learn by like reading articles and listening to podcasts but i put learning in air quotes because it's not like are you really adding new base level kind of primitive skills? Or are you just like accumulating random like tidbits and trivia and like maybe a couple like additional models here and there, but like how much long form thinking is like still going on for people who aren't like very intentional about how they manage their distractions. Right. Yeah. I think there's like a whole conversation to be had there about like the evolution of, uh, you know, post-schooling education, uh, you know, with Bitcoin uh, being like the a sort of, uh, mechanism for change. Um, but yeah, uh, certainly something to be looking forward to, uh, as, as hyper Bitcoinization occurs. Um, but to move on to a more shallow topic, uh, what do you think the price of Bitcoin will be at the end of this year? And, uh, you know, we're fast approaching and what do you think the, uh, end of, uh, at the end of 2030, what do you think the price of Bitcoin will be? Yeah, for anyone who's out there listening to this, I'm answering this question for the sake of answering it, not for the sake of having a well-reasoned opinion that should inform any decision that you should make. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we just stay sideways through the end of the year, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you know, we kind of go parabolic. Shout out to the Deep Dive newsletter. There is a lot of really good uh, on-chain analysis in there that just shows some pretty alarming like statistics in terms of how literally like everyone's in profit right now and no one's taking profits, how miners aren't like selling any of the new supply that they get. So it's like the only way that if, dem if demand increases, right, the only way you people can obtain Bitcoin is by convincing highly convicted holders to give it up. And the only way you do that is to get offer them a price beyond like their wildest dreams. So I think like that kind of makes near term parabolic price action inevitable because you know the supply we know what the supply is going to do right it's only going to increase by a very small amount and as long as the demand increases in like a beyond the way we expected that's just going to happen it's just if that plays out uh we're recording this on november 4th so if that plays out in the next you know 60 days or if it takes a little longer than that 
So I think by 2030, uh, you know, I, so I also host a podcast. It's kind of about a bunch of topics, mostly entrepreneurship, investing, and some things like that. But I, I had a high school history teacher on the podcast because he was a really good history teacher. Uh, and we asked him about like COVID and has there ever been a pandemic during election year and his really interesting episode. Uh, the point of that sidebar was to say that he said this thing, which is no good historian ever makes predictions more than like six to 18 months in advance. Uh, so 2030, I think like the, the consequences of everything, just all the interesting things playing out right now in like the US election, like, you know, who's gonna be the president four years from now? Like I have no confident prediction on that. So like assigning a number to Bitcoin. I'd like to say if you know, it's hyper Bitcoinization, nine years from now, we could definitely see the infinity divided by 21 million like thought play out, right? If Bitcoin is the default global like store of value for everything, like it's just all value divided by 21 million, then you like take the total world economic output, which is, I don't even know what to call it, a couple hundreds of trillions maybe, and that divided by 21 million, that puts us in like a nine figure Bitcoin maybe. Uh, so I think that's definitely possible. And that's like the reason I hold yeah, I think that's a fantastic answer. Um, I mean, you nailed it. Deep dive. You got to get that information because the supply shock is coming, babe. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's coming. They, I didn't understand it. Like the threads, you know, they put Dylan, he puts out some great threads. Dylan's one of the main writers for the deep dive, but they, they dive even deeper in the deep dive. They, they do dive deeper. Uh, code macro 21, if you want to get your own hands on the deep dive, because uh, like I said, supply shock is coming. And uh, I do think they run a free preview though as well. So if you want to like get some yeah, articles, it's it's on um I think it's on the deep dive, but it's we run it on uh, the magazine.com too. If you look up the deep dive tag, you can check out some articles um, that were like released the day before. We'll release them the next day. Um, and you can get some free alpha and check out, you know, maybe you want to get that subscription. So again, code macro 21. Don't forget about code taco plebs. Taco Plebs, no space uh, for the conference, 10% off. Um, and thanks for coming on, Lewis. It's, it's been great. Thank you, Casey. Uh, and make sure to check out the next episode of Meet the Bitcoin Plebs on Bitcoin Magazine. Thanks for watching, everyone. Mm -hmm.